Hello, everybody. Ryan Leola here. Usually on this show, I usually do profiles on extraordinary people and their obsessions and report human interest stories on this podcast. But this episode, I want to do something different. As you guys might know, I am a complete politics junkie. I am a politics major, and I can honestly see myself covering politics in the future. And with the fact that we are literally less than a month away from one of the most consequential elections in our history, I wanted to take a look at the history of contemporary presidential elections. So to join me in my discussion, I brought along two of my good friends, Kenneth G. and Nicholas Mendez, to help me analyze the missteps that have occurred in past attempts to make it to the Oval Office. Hope you guys enjoy, and now... Back to the show. Hello, I'm Ryan Loyola. Sports nerd, theater geek, Snapple cap collector, wannabe political junkie. And welcome to the podcast where I take a plunge into the obsessions that captivate each one of us. You know the sword, the fascination that riveted you from the moment you first learned about them. The one that continues to knack at your brain until you can know every single shred of information there is to learn about it. To each one our own, the spectrums of our obsessions are incredibly diverse in their field. It's so manic that it's almost impossible to explain how or why we drown ourselves in it. Join me as I go off the deep end into the obsessions that continue to allure us. Give us to our love and our appreciation for the trivial things in life that we have the most innate voices to be heard, the most compelling stories to tell. This is Nosedive. Okay, so shall we so shall we get started with my political theory? Would love to hear it. Please enlighten us, Ryan. So, I I'd, I'd like to think that you two have um, a decent knowledge of me. And most people who have a relative amount of knowledge about me know that I'm obsessed with the history of politics in the United States. Mm-hmm. My interest yeah. in politics has really zeroed onto presidential politics and winning that election on that November, on that Tuesday night. And of course, in the meantime, as I've become a politically active participant in my democracy, I've retained interest in public policies and how these policies affect our everyday lives through the inter- intersections of different social institutions. But despite that, I've always been enamored with the history of presidential elections. And I thought this discussion would be fitting since, of course, this is an election year and we are literally T-minus literally less than, a, uh, less than a month away from our general election. And in my years of research and learning about the civil war that our country faces every four years, I found it fitting to discuss some of the things that I've learned on those races to the Oval Office. Uh, Three points I'm calling how to lose the presidency. Ooh, cool. I like it. So, and in regards to, um, and in regards to most of these, it was really kind of, it was really, it resulted in a gradual decrease into, in support for the candidate. It never really was a moment where once it happened, people were like, oh, this guy's totally finished. They're, like he's done it was really kind of just like these moments just began the decline for each one of theirs their mm. campaign Wait, so is 
is this theory centered around incumbents losing their second term? Because you say like how to lose the presidency. Um, not necessarily just to lose a presidential election. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Okay. So I have so I have three points, three major points that I want to focus on. And my first point is presidential debates. Oh man, we we know those are uh, kind of hit or miss nowadays. Um, yes. I don't know, man. That 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 last presidential debate. Uh, uh, it did hurt. It was, it it was kind of hurt to watch. Even in 2016, they had sort of um, degraded. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I wonder how talking they're going to be useful. Anyways, continue, Ryan. But either way, so even though you have a hatred for the last presidential debates, let me tell you about how it used to be in their prestige. So, but before I get into like actual presidential debates, the history nerd in me first has to talk about the Lincoln-Douglas debates of 1858. Yes. Which was, between, which was between at the time Senator um, Stephen Douglas of Illinois and former Congressman Abraham Lincoln for the Senate seat in Illinois. Um, Douglas was seeking re-election for a third term as the senator from Illinois, and Lincoln sought to unseat him. And in their campaign, both Lincoln and Douglas a- agreed to do something unprecedented at the time, which was to face off in a one-on-one debate with one another. And the debate format, they were, they were a series of seven debates, which mostly revolved around the topic of slavery and its, and its expansion. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't. It didn't have a f- the format of contemporary debates today. There, there were literally there was no moderator, uh, arguably the same as uh, last last week's debate. Um, it was literally just. Hey man, don't like, Chris Wallace like that. He was. He, 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 he tried his time. best. He tried. He Chris, tried his best. Chris Wallace is a very res- a very respected journalist, but just yeah, he he just needed a mute button. He uh, genuinely needed to be better. Like he was trying his hardest, but he kind of got steamrolled by Trump doing his thing. Yes, um, but but let's but let's continue on with that. So in the Lincoln Douglas debates, there was no moderator. It was literally just Lincoln and Douglas alone, face to face on a stage in a front in front of a crowd of thousands of people. And I want to compare that first to the format of Tuesday's debate, which was a ninety minute debate six segments each, one question, which each candidate had two minutes to respond with in an open discussion for the rest of each segment. So that's how Tuesday's debate worked. But let me ask you this, guys. So for the Lincoln-Douglas debates, how long do you think they had for their opening statements? Oh, God, I, I'm sure it was some ridiculously long time. Nick, yeah, like I'm, I'm 30, guessing, 45 Yeah, my guess, I'm, I'm going with Kenneth, where it was some obscenely long amount of time that probably would have been a lot, made a lot of sense back then because you didn't have to have yeah. these sort of, you know, short television blurbs that you have nowadays where you have to just keep holding people's attention uh, because everyone was sort of a captive audience in like Mummy Mads and Peter. I'm going to go with like 10 to 15 minutes per person. Um, so, yeah, so the first candidate spoke for 60 minutes. Um, oh, okay. good. Good. Oh Jesus. So so let's say so let's say um Congressman Lincoln was the first one to speak. He spoke um for sixty minutes. His opening statement was sixty minutes. Horrid. I would have Okay, wait, wait. Asleep. You you say horrid, but also if we put that into the context of podcasts nowadays, right? You have Joe Rogan where he sits down with some guests for four hours at a time. Right? I mean, I feel like 
I don't know. The, this sort of goes back to why I feel like the present model of debates is sort of busted. I almost think that you you could afford to go back to like an older, more long-winded style of debate. Um, and that would actually be a lot more substantive and probably, you know, more informative to the people. I mean, Joe Rogan did propose that he would moderate a fourth presidential debate outside the commission's three, <laughs> which okay, Trump Joe, agreed to, but Biden has not said anything about that. I, I don't know, man. Rogan's a bit of a, a meathead. Um, I'll take some other moderator, um, but I think the format would definitely be good. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's so that's that. And then so Lincoln had. So going back to um, the Lincoln-Douglas debate, so Lincoln, if, if Lincoln was the one who spoke first, Lincoln spoke for 60 minutes. In response, Senator Douglas then spoke, um, gave his opening statement, his arguments, and his rebuttal. He had 90 minutes to do that. Wow, that's just opening remarks. So that's like not even that's not even like a debate into like their actual policies and what they wanted to do. That's and he said it was over multiple days, right? Well, it's not. Well, they had seven different debates. Um, <laughs> this is just this is just debate number one. Oh my! Um, so well, so Douglas gave his opening statement, his response to um, Lincoln, then his his own arguments and statements, and then his closing statement, and then Lincoln finished would finish off the debate by providing his refutations as along with his closing statement, which lasted thirty minutes. So they did this seven times um, over the course of their uh, over the course of their campaigns. Of course, with them flip flopping in between who went first and who went second. Um, um, in the end, Senator Douglas won re-election to the seat, although Lincoln did and en- actually end up having the last laugh by beating Douglas two years later in the 1860 presidential right. election. Yeah. So overall, these debates have been kind of kind of have been revered as the cornerstone in rhetoric and debate with it having basically the basic structure of statement, refutal and closing in like high school debates today. And keep in mind that those debates were only for the U.S. Senate. So not necessarily the high stakes were held at those times, but these were basically the only debates that actually happened in that time period. And those debates were also were they were the first and last major debates between two candidates for public office for over a century until two men by the names of John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon faced off in a Chicago television studio. Yes, I have. I have heard this. And this was the very famous sort of uh, first debate where television was used. And it was where um, Nixon didn't really know how to use television to win over an audience. Yes, well, and well, I will get oh, and I will get to that. Right. Yeah, well, so, Kennedy did. I don't that. Yeah, so I'll so I'll get to that. So with the start of these debates in the in the 1960s, this is also the start of, of course, broadcast television. It was also the start of voters losing interest in the actual substance of the policies and experience of the candidates, <laughs> but a rise and interest towards the overall aesthetic and portrayal that we that the voters had of them. You go back before this time. <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm sorry. That's yeah. you can wait, blame. Wait, wait. Just just a quick side note. Um, I'm pretty sure, like every um, president, um, I believe since Kennedy, um, except for maybe Jimmy Carter, was over six feet tall, and uh, obviously like a male. So it's clearly there's some like uh, advantage to like looking um, quote unquote presidential. You know, being like a a, a tall male. Um, you know, when you have television cameras uh, trained on you at all times. 
And and talking about the um, about the look and being the aesthetic of being a good old American president, this was basically the first time that that actually happened. And radio listeners who tuned in um, to the debate mostly thought that Nixon had won the debate. But vice versa, people watching it on television, when they were polled, most of them thought that Kennedy had won the debate. And the reason why? It was literally just physical appearance. Richard Nixon, at the time, looking back at it, actually had a really, when you look at it now, a terrible, terrible, terrible campaign strategy of deciding to physically speak and campaign at all 50 states. (laughs) Right, right. Okay. Not great. When television and radio were both available widely at the time. But he decided to decide to campaign in all 50 states. And of course, the conventional norm of campaigning and only in the swing states, which Kennedy did, is already grueling enough. So this man is already making life harder for himself. So when he showed up to um, the studio in Chicago, he showed up on set looking absolutely dreadful. And at the time, right before he went into the debate, he's actually, he had actually been in the hospital for the past two weeks. Because when he was getting out of his um, campaign vehicle, he had banged his knee um, next to the door. Um, and it got weirdly, and it so happened that that knee got infected. <laughs> is, so, this, is, this, uh, is, this, is this a fact in your almanac? This seems like a very much an almanac fact. No, this is, no, this is, this is just, um, uh, I, I just, I just know this. I, I don't As know how I know infection. <laughs> He got a knee infection. Cool. Wow. And it was also um, in which during his time that he was in the hospital, he had lost 20 pounds. Um, He had lost 20 pounds. From hitting his fucking knee? Well, yeah. Well, just just being in the hospital for two weeks, he like lost 20 pounds. They now feed him? I mean, he's president. I don't know. I don't don't, know. It's the fucking 60s. I don't know what medical practices they were having. Uh, <laughs> right, they aren't that great. If the hospital's anything to go by, I can't, I can't imagine it's that great. That's true. And also that day um, of the debate, he had, in addition to coming from the hospital um, with this knee infection, he had also had uh, both the flu and the high fever at the same time. <laughs> so, the favor. so the Lord basically threw at him any disease he could find um, and just threw it at Richard Nixon that day. Sweet. Great. Thumb on the scale. And also that day, he also, um, I don't know, because like toxic masculinity, when TV producers came to him about his physical appearance, he refused to shave and refused to wear TV makeup. (laughs) Bro, I need to see a picture of this man at the debate. I mean, he sounds awful. So literally when he um, when he went onto the stage and the debate actually happened, he kind of did look like a deadbeat dad going through a midlife crisis, like literally sweating bullets for the entire United States to, to see, pitching to the country why he believes he should be commander-in-chief. Nice. This seems like a very um, pleasing image, to say the least. And I want you to compare this to Kennedy, who is little, who's like gorgeously handsome. Yeah. He was very he was strategic in which he didn't campaign in the four days leading up to the debate. He rested in his hotel room in the week leading up to it. He wore makeup. He He groomed himself, and he had this quote-unquote presidential look to him while um, Nixon quite frankly looked like a corpse and it was quoted from the Chicago it was uh, quoted from the Chicago mayor at the time that after debate he said quote my god they even embalmed him before he died end quote (laughs) 
Nice. Nice. That's pretty crazy. And even though and even though Kennedy and Nixon had three subsequent debates after this and Nixon had learned his lesson and made himself look presentable, most voters did take away from what they saw in that first debate, which became a major turning point towards Kennedy's favor, as he actually ended up winning one of the at the time, um, a very close election with a less than comfortable electoral uh, victory, while only beating Nixon by 0.2% in the national popular vote. Wow. Mm. I didn't realize that election was that close. Yeah, so it was a wide-ish margin in regards to the electoral votes, but nationally, it was really, really close. Right. And at that time, uh, as a result, um, in Nixon's future's um, successful campaigns to the presidency and his subsequent re-election in 68 and in 72, he literally refused to participate in any debates um, to um, <laughs> avoid a repeat of 1960. And I don't know, it it, it worked. He was re-elected both times by refusing to, to not debate. So that the first debate really showed how important televised debates would come to be in this new age of technology and showed how it could be a make-or-break moment in your candidacy. So um, basically, that first debate was asking, who did you want to lead the country's fight against the communists? The buff, handsome Senator Kennedy or the corpse-like white figure of Vice President Nixon? <laughs> I, uh, I, I see where you're going here. Um, and I also assume you're going to touch maybe on the most recent debate uh, with a similar yeah. idea. Um, no, I'm actually I'm not going to touch on oh. the next, the, our most recent debates because we don't actually know how it's going to end up. That's true. That is true. That's fair. I guess, yeah, I, I, I do feel like even though Trump's, you know, words are, um, you know, bad, not great uh, <laughs> at the debates, he definitely has a presence on that stage um, that I think gives him, you know, sort of an advantage uh, to the people, you know, um, watching it on TV, right? I mean, it was often talked about in like uh, the Trump versus Hillary debates that you know, I mean, he's just sort of this like massive guy and Hillary's, you know, compar- was comparatively, I guess still is, but <laughs> in the debates seemed like comparatively smaller. Right. And there are all those shots where he's like looming behind her in like the town hall debate um, that I don't know, just sort of like established this sort of, I, I guess, like implicit power dynamics. Um, so, yeah, I-, I still think it's super important. Yeah. So to answer that question about about who did you want to lead the country's fight against the communists? Um, you first might want to know that the communists existed in the first place. Fast forward 16 years later to 1976. It was um, incumbent president uh, Gerald Ford against Georgia governor Jimmy Carter. And Ford wasn't a very popular president at the time because he was vice president right before um, but he was literally he was literally neither elected to the vice presidency or the presidency. Wait, what? Can you explain that again? Um, Gerald Ford was vice president and then president, but he was n- not elected to either position. But so how did he become vice president? Because in 1972, um, Richard Nixon won with his vice president, Spiro Agnew. Okay. A year later, Spiro Agnew resigned because of corruption charges when he was governor of Maryland. <laughs> Right. So, so Nixon tapped then House Minority Leader Gerald Ford to become the vice president. Then Watergate happened. Then he ascended to the presidency. Man, what a just a set of like 
I like the, he's either the luckiest or unluckiest man alive to have those dominoes just sort of fall for him. Yeah, so so not only was he unpopular due to the fact that he was not elected by the people to either of those national positions we were talking about, he was also very unpopular for his decision to pardon President Nixon after the Watergate scandal. So despite that, Jimmy Carter was governor of Georgia at the time, and he was gaining momentum by running a campaign of being this quote-unquote Washington outsider who was untainted by the corruption into D.C. However, going into the debates, his momentum was kind of stalled when he stated in an interview with Playboy that he had a lust for women who weren't his wife. Uh, This sounds all too familiar. Like, this whole description sounds so familiar. I, yeah, I don't understand why you, why a presidential candidate would decide to give an interview with Playboy, but, um. It's not great. But either way, so saying that, of course, it's like 1970s America is like saying that you're horny for people is like, that's gonna like hurt your, that's gonna hurt your political career. So that's not sad. anymore. Well, not saying, anymore. I'm <laughs> having a real sense of deja vu hearing this story. It's, uh, it's, it's a different time than it was in, um, than it was in the 1970s. So come so coming into the debate, it was it was a pretty tight race between the two of them. And actually, I'm actually going to share my screen for this because I'm gonna actually play you um this moment that really fucked up um Gerald Ford's uh campaign. He was asked a question regarding our relationship to the Russians, basically basically the USSR in its interactions with the world at the time um and this is what he said there is no soviet domination of eastern europe and there never will be under a ford administration Uh, i'm sorry could i just follow did i understand you to say sir that the russians are not using eastern europe as their own sphere of influence and occupying most of the countries there and, and and making sure with their troops that it's a that it's a communist zone whereas on our side of the line the italians and the french are still flirting with i don't believe uh, mr franco that uh, the yugoslavians consider themselves dominated okay but either way so he said that at uh in one of his presidential debates because you know how you know how like coming into the into a debate you have like a you have like a set list of like zinger lines. Mm-hmm. Um, that was technically supposed to be one of his zinger lines. No Soviet domination. Uh, no, but he, you know, he massively fucked up the line. Um, what the line was supposed to be was that he was he was trying to say that even though there was Soviet domination in Eastern Europe, he was trying to say that if these um, spheres of influence wanted to gain independence. Um, the USSR would be fine with that. That's what he was trying to say. That came out horribly wrong. Like that was like, the opposite of what came out. But in in trying to say that out, he um said that the the basically the Russians didn't have <laughs> were not controlling Control all of Eastern over Europe. Eastern Europe. <laughs> good job, man. Good job. You made up some real real good uh, facts okay. there. All right, wait, wait, wait. Really quick point. So that is gnarly. But my God, it's a different time. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a, it's a that, different time. That wouldn't crack the like, like you wouldn't even get you know uh, a reporter like commenting on that in like the whatever commentary stream. That would just be like, eh, okay, <laughs> it's another, another one of those. 
So you literally saw in the video that the moderator literally hearing that line was literally so confused about his response that he had to ask the question again and just ask him to clarify. Yeah, you had to fact check him right there. And then he's just like, are you sure, sir? I'll give you a chance. And actually during this time, um, Gerald Ford had actually been heard by Saturday Night Live um, because of... I believe, yeah, this was, I'm trying to do the math in my head. Yeah, this was in SNL's early days. This um, was one of their first years, I think. None of their first, like, it was, year three or four? Yeah, it was really like the first couple of years or so. Um, the, uh, the person who was impersonating Gerald Ford at the time was Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. Now, Chevy Chase, compared to today's impersonations, Chevy Chase didn't, he didn't look at like Gerald Ford at all. So... To make up for it, he literally portrayed Gerald Ford as a bumbling idiot who just fell over everywhere. Didn't help his case here at all. Yeah, so um, so he had so that's how Chase had been portraying him throughout the entire year, um, and then this moment happened, um, and it didn't didn't exactly help to show to people that he was a a, a capable person to run the country. Um, so that moment right there really fucked up Ford's quest for a re-election, and that resulted in him basically losing the election by another close margin. Um, I don't know what the exact electoral count was, but it was pretty in regard to electoral-wise, it was a pretty close margin. So yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? I can't say it doesn't make sense. Um, I, it clearly goes to show that, especially during this time in the age of television still being relatively new that the public perception can really have an effect on people. Uh, and clearly he was not to say underprepared, but he didn't know what he was going to say as he was saying it. And it clearly came out wrong. Uh, also SNL came out, started only a year, exactly about a year before this. Mm. Yeah. So those are, so, so those are two cases that I'm, that I'm telling you about about how a debate can lose you to presidency in general. Um, now, let me tell you about a moment in which a debate can fuck you up in just the primaries. Now, we're going to take this back just to 2012. Um, during Obama's re-election, during the Republican, the Republican presidential primaries, one, one of the uh, presidential top hopefuls was the governor of Texas at the time. Rick Perry. I I I might know this one. I, I know this one as well. I think I know this so one. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the video. Uh, and so this um he was in a um Republican presidential debate moderated by CNBC, which which I found to be interesting, where um they were talking about um the idea of how the government has become too powerful under Obama's reign, and he was talking about how if he were to become president, he would actually eliminate a couple of um, government departments. And then this happened. It's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> Com- you need five. Oh, five. Okay. So five. commerce, education, and uh, the um, uh, uh, EPA. EPA. There you go. No, again. Let's stop. Let's stop deposition. Seriously? Um, Is EPA no, the one you were talking about? Or? No, sir. No, sir. We were talking about the. Um, agencies of government. The EPA needs to be rebuilt. But There's you no can't, doubt about but that. But you can't name the third one? 
the third agency of government, yeah. I would I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see, I can't. The third one. I oh yikes! <laughs> oh, that is truly painful. That was so bad. Oh, I, you know, I thought God. I was actually. He should have just said yes. It's the EPA. <laughs> That's the third one. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you know, what I thought that was. I thought that was something that was going to be something very different because I remembered something else. I think it was also. Wait, wait, what, was it was it the one where the guy uh, yelled and he was like "yeehaw" or whatever? Um, that's <laughs> is that what you're thinking of? Uh, I know, I know what okay. you, I know what you're talking about, Kenneth. But that wasn't during a debate, so I'll just so I didn't include that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, yeah, Kenneth, I do know what you're talking about. That was in 2004, actually. Um, Howard Dean had literally um, was the guy who said it. He had just he had he had come third in either Iowa or New Hampshire. Either way, he was really excited about the fact that he finished third. So he was like, "We're gonna go to South Carolina. We're gonna go to Texas. We're gonna go to Florida." And then she yelled out this really. He said, "Yeah," but it was he, his voice cracked in an, an excessive way, and everyone saw that, and that became the blooper for the next seven days, and that actually kind of ended his campaign. And then John Kerry became the Democratic nominee. Oh, Rick. Oh, okay, oh, but Rick. hold up. I you that you haven't even oh. heard the best part yet. Um, oh no. So that third government agency that he couldn't think of during the debate, that ended up to be the Department of Energy that he said that he would um get rid of. Fast forward four years later to 2016 and 2017, he became the secretary of the Department of Energy under the Trump administration. Yep, that's right. <laughs> That is quite, quite ironic to the just worst extent. It is quite, very quite ironic. He's, he's not the, he, so he's, he's not the secretary anymore. I don't know who it is now, but. He, Honestly, I'm pretty sure the entire cabinet has switched around he, at least once or twice. Yes, but he is, he is no longer the secretary of um, energy, despite saying that as president, he, a uh, president Perry would have eliminated the department of energy. Perry had a lot of problems. And then. One last thing, one last debate moment that I want to talk about before I move on to my other two points. When it comes to uh, Perry's uh, campaign, that really, that was the ticker. That really kind of ended it right there. But I want to show you this next moment. It's considered to be one of the most iconic debate moments in U.S. history. Um, it, it, didn't, it didn't really um, affect the campaign in any way. But I wanted to show it to you because it's literally so. Is this is this uh, Obama versus Romney? No, this is not Obama versus Romney. This this is actually in 1984, not 1984. My apologies, 1988. It was uh, Vice President George Bush versus at the time Governor Michael Dukakis, and at the time, and this debate moment didn't actually happen. This. It didn't happen during the presidential debate. It actually happened during the vice presidential debate. So Michael Dukakis, he was this young governor, but in order to mitigate that, he chose a really seasoned uh, politician in Lloyd Benson from Texas um, to just counteract that. During when George Bush was running for president, he chose um, at the time Senator Dan Quayle, who was 40 at the time. um, And everyone thought, at the moment was like, oh, he's young. He's going to rile up the base. He's going to be, he's going to bring these youthful voters to the Republican base to energize them up. Um, that happened for a while until um, he kind of had a bunch of gaffes and during a couple of speeches where he just seemed like a rambling idiot. 
And there was also a moment in which he was presiding over an elementary school uh, spelling bee, um, in which he spelled the word potato with an E at the end. Man, come on. Um, he claimed that he was only doing so because it was that's how it was written in the card. But still, even with that, that still got a lot of press that Dan Quayle forced a little kid to spell potato with an E at the end. Nice. It's good luck. But even with, even with that, coming into the vice presidential debate, Dan Quayle had been receiving all these questions from the press about whether or not with his youth and his inexperience, is he fit to serve as vice president? Because at the time, in the past in, in 88, over the past 20 or 30 years, so many vice presidents at the time had become president with Lyndon Johnson after Kennedy's assassination and then with, uh, with Ford's succession to the presidency after Nixon resigned. So at that time, the case of is, is your vice, pre- can your vice president become president? That became a really important, that was a real, it still is today, but it, at the time it was still a very important point to make as a vice presidential candidate. So he was fielded this uh, question. He was fielded that question in a at a vice presidential debate, and this is what came. This is what happened. It's considered to be, I consider it to be, one of the most iconic debate moments of all time. It's, it's experience. I have far more experience than many others that sought the office of vice president of this country. I have as much experience in the Congress as Jack Kennedy did when he sought. The presidency. I will be prepared to deal with the people in the Bush administration if that unfortunate event would ever occur. Senator Benson. Senator, I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. So, yeah, so that's considered to be one of the great zingers in presidential debate. History. I'm sad you didn't get the chance to literally drop the mic and walk out. This ended up actually, this was actually only in history, vice presidential debates have really never tipped the balance towards one candidate or the other. This one was actually the outlier. This one did tip the favor um, for the Dukakis campaign for just a tiny bit before it dissipated and Michael Dukakis lost in a landslide, not in a, in a, in a relatively big margin he lost, but either way. So that's, so basically those are the four points in debate history that you really can fuck you up in a presidential election that has fucked people up in presidential elections. And before I move on to our final, our next topic, topic number two, I want, want to hear your final thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think uh, debates are at, like historically have been important. I oh God, I really don't know that they're going to continue to be super important, right? Um, I mean, because I mean, this I guess let's not about this most recent debate, uh, even though it seems like uh, it did basically you know nothing to move the polls. Obviously, the election hasn't happened yet, so we really can't talk about it. Um, but it, I don't know. It's like the perception in 2016 was that um, Hillary won um, at least like two out of the three debates, um, and still she seemed to to ultimately lose the presidency. 
uh, I don't know. I just I feel like it's become more and more of an outdated format, and I think people have become <laughs> almost more tolerant of like gaffes um, and fuck ups. Um, I don't know. I think um, we no longer care uh, about gaffes and and fuck ups um, of of that kind on um, on stage anymore. So I, I don't know. I, I I think it definitely was important in the past. I think it's going to be of less importance going forward, but that could just be me. Nick, your thoughts? I'm of much the same mind. I think the debates have grown less and less uh, sort of telling of what a president is truly uh, there to do. Um, and pardon me for bringing something fictional to this, but there was a a representation of the debates in my favorite show, uh, it's called The Newsroom, where they basically turned it into a courtroom scene where the moderator basically became the judge questioning the candidates and making sure they always uh, were, first of all, within time, and second of all, um, always answer the question. They, they made sure that the question was answered, uh, whether it be a spurious or a very definite answer. They always made sure the question was answered. And I think something like that... Um, that sort of format would really, really help to sort of re-energize the debates uh, because it feels like there hasn't been anything like that for quite a long time. And even looking back at these uh, older debates, it very much seems that same way. Um, I agree. I think the debates are becoming a little bit more of an old relic of what they used to be in the past in regards to their prestige and how it is kind of more becoming, even though it is a 90-minute debate, everyone is only going to focus on about two minutes of actual dialogue of what happened when mainstream media does re re look at it in the in later times but yeah at the time but i still think that the debates are still a massive platform in which a candidate can turn their candidacy around or completely lose it in the moments i don't think it's it hasn't happened as much in in the past 20 years, I think the only the only only actual substantive thing that I could think of is in 2000 when at the time Governor George W. Bush and Vice President Al Gore were in a debate together. And what happened was one of the things about Al Gore was that everyone considered him to be a really a really static robotic person. During the first debate, every time that um, Governor Bush made a statement. Vice President Gore would literally sigh, um, but it was a very audible sigh. But this happened about fifteen times during the debate, where Governor Bush was giving his uh, his statement, and he would just let out a, a pretty good <sighs> into the microphone. <laughs> and also, given the fact that, in along with his debate prep, he was given he was being asked about how he would protect. Um, social security and in his debate prep he was i'm pretty sure he was prepared that he would say the words that he would lock social security in a lockbox and throw it somewhere so that no one would touch it but it just so happened to be that he kind of got too focused on the word lockbox and ended up using the word lockbox about 10 times during the debate when he should have only used that once during that social security portion um but aside from that Looking back at 04 and 08 in 12, 16, and this past one, there hasn't been a really big, big moment that has changed the way that um, the, the Kennedy has gone on. I mean, and I, I, I yeah. guess one thing that I just thought of, you could argue that uh, Trump 
got the Republican nomination off the back of a massive series of uh, debates. Um, remember, like, it, in 2016, it started out with, like, 20 uh, people vying for the Republican nomination, right? And there were, like, you know, <laughs> everyone thought that Trump was uh, going to lose. Um, there were a bunch of, like, far more qualified people. Um, but it's almost like through Trump's, you know, abusive um, presence on that stage, he almost, like, um, I don't know, he... Uh, I guess he was able to sort of like cut through uh, the, the mannerisms of uh, like typical politicians, you know, cut through all the you know bullshit um, as I'm sure his uh, supporters would say. Um, and I don't know. I, do you guys agree? I feel like you could argue that the debates in the primary really helped uh, Trump um, get the nomination. I'd be inclined to agree with that. I think especially, especially in the primary, maybe not in the presidential debates themselves, but of course, there were a lot of outside factors that uh, sort of influenced the eventual um, election. But yeah, I would say besides the the primaries for sure, because just like he does now, he sort of has this very outward presence that he just sort of imposes onto others, um, sort of giving him the advantage in a sense. Yeah. And with that, I want to move on from point number one from the debate. I want to move on to point number two on what I believe is how you can lose the presidency. And you guys will be able to hear points two and three that I've laid out in our next episode of Nosedive, in the second half of this series, How to Lose the Presidency. Until then, stay tuned. I want to extend the sincerest of thanks to Kenneth G. and Nicholas Mendez in listening to me geek out about presidential politics. You can follow them on Instagram at KennyJesus123 and at Nicholas underscore Mendez. You can find those in the show notes. For more updates on this podcast, you can follow this podcast on Instagram at Podcast. that is also in our show notes. This episode was written and edited by me, Ryan Loyola, Cover art for the show was designed by Jamie Mazer and me, Ryan Loyola. And our theme music is Groove It Now by J-Man from Our Music Box. If you are interested in creating your own podcast, make sure to click the link in the show notes to start your own podcasting journey with Buzzsprout. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you download, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. And if you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. And hopefully, you'll tune in next time, whenever it may be. So long. (laughs) 